Wonderful. Yay. Yay. <laughs> finally the charm. Safely back we to one, everyone. <laughs> places. Oh, places. 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 Oh. places. Okay. This again. Okay. <laughs> you are a podcaster. You are a podcaster. Can you, okay, can you hear the, the theater in my voice that I know to respond with? Thank you, places. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, five. Thank you, five. Thank you, five. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Can everyone still hear me? Are we all good? Are yes, we all yes. live in Wonderland? All right. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you once again for being here. Um, yeah, we're trying something new in the new year because fuck it, why not? Let's do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, we all made it through 2020. We're here in 2021. And we are here to talk about uh, one of my favorite uh, movies, favorite movie musicals, uh, favorite, like, just things ever, and it's Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> if you couldn't tell by our virtual backgrounds it's, yet. <laughs> it's right. a favorite of mine as well. Like, it, it's one of my favorite musicals, and I've heard from our, our special guest that it is uh, his favorite film of all time. Yeah, as you can tell from my special quarantine mask here, Mushnik and Sons, do yeah. I have permission to take off my mask? Are you guys comfortable with that? No. Well, yeah, well, I think we're distant we're on enough. Zoom. I think it's okay. I think we're distant enough. But uh, I met this uh, this fine gentleman through his podcast movie, Date Night, where I was uh, I had the pleasure to be a part of the James Bond Fantasy League. So he is a co-host of Movie Date Night, a co-host of Friday is Game Night, and a co-host of Moral Combat. Uh, it's Gregory Mee. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. Suddenly you. Gregory <laughs> is recording beside you. <laughs> you do need some makeup because we're on Zoom. Yes, we're on Zoom. Right. I know normally we wouldn't need makeup, but here we are on Zoom. <laughs> uh so yeah greg brought this movie to us i mean it was gonna happen it was gonna happen eventually so yeah. <laughs> uh greg was just uh excited to come on and be uh the first guinea pig in this new uh experiment of streaming and uh so thank you for yeah going under the knife with us here oh thank you yeah it's my first procedure um i'm excited <laughs> so how many times gregory do you think you've seen this movie just i don't do part. calculus just <laughs> <laughs> never tell him the odds you know? <laughs> like i don't know how logarithms work but it's something like that you know? got it oh, it's an imaginary number right yeah <laughs> yeah like um okay so my background for let me just tell you the story for how i first saw this film I first saw this film, it was like summer of 97 or something like that. And I was running downstairs, having grabbed a towel upstairs because, oh, I'm having a pool party with friends. I run through the living room. My dad is watching the exact scene where it's Steve Martin looking into a guy's mouth drilling. I'm like, what's that? Don't care. We're about to go play Marco Polo. Gone. 10 years later, I finally find this film like, that's that weird movie with the mouth. Oh, I let's sit down and watch this. And then I fell in love. I what's that weird movie with the mouth? Because uh, having watched this a lot as a kid, that's actually one of the foundational images I have of yeah. this movie is the shot inside the mouth. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is like an amazing shot. It is. It uh, is. It's, it's all the Frank Oz of this movie. This, this mm -hmm. movie is, is just sings Frank Oz. Right. And so I guess we should probably talk about what the movie's about. Um, 
Ah. Yeah. <laughs> which if you haven't seen it like definitely definitely see this uh it's too late for all of you people who are on twitch already all you know uh 17 million of you there you go um <laughs> uh but yeah if you're listening to this uh and you haven't seen this movie like i cannot emphasize enough like how much you need to see this movie it's wonderful uh and the movie is about a you know unassuming, you know, young Rick Moranis who is living in Skid Row uh, and is, you know, an orphan. He works and lives in the flower shop that he works at um, with uh, this, uh, you know, very, uh, you know, caricaturistic <laughs> Mr. Mushnick. Uh, <laughs> and uh he one day as the song uh as many of the songs tell us uh in the wonderful form of exposition uh is outside of a flower shop one day um with another caricature of mr chang <laughs> uh and as the total eclipse of the sun happens the plant arrives and changes seymour's life forever um and changes the planet as we know it, um, which our epic movie scroll at the beginning alludes to. So yeah, let's talk about it. Um, <laughs> I think that this movie probably has one of the most exciting starts for a movie like ever. It has like the Star Wars like scroll at the beginning, but it actually is narrated with like this epic voice that's, you know, on the 23rd day of December and a early year of a decade, not too long before our own, you know, humanity encountered a dire threat to its very existence. And this threat came as such threats often do in the seemingly most innocent and unlikely of places. Are you doing this from memory? <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, fair warning. Yeah, a, a disclaimer to anyone listening right now. Um, this episode has like at least two um, has at least two theater geeks in it. So um, if that's something that you're not into, I would say just run away now. But <laughs> turn back now. Turn back now. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I actually played Audrey too in my college production of Little Shop of Horrors. Um, so I could probably recite this movie back to front. Uh, well, we're going to ask I, I for some singing. <laughs> I saw this movie and I've, I've seen this play uh, quite a few times because I actually, well, technical directing a theater in Southwest Denver, we hosted a high school's production of this. So I have loaded in and assembled the big old Audrey II plant. I ran the, the fly rail. I still remember my fly cues from Little Shop of Horrors, so certain songs I remember like, oh, I have to fly the scream out right now, or oh, I have to bring in this backdrop. Or um, there's one which is really annoying, which is when they are, when Seymour is uh, becoming famous and doing all the interviews and he's up, like on the cover of the magazine. We had this magazine that was made out of cardboard. And so the, the thing had to fly in to be in for two seconds and fly back out. And it was so, bloody arbor heavy because there was no way to like actually put enough weight on the baton to counterweight this thing. <laughs> so I hated that cue more than anything. <laughs> that's uh, no. probably what the, the meek shall inherit. Like, you know, yes. shall inherit. That's exactly what it's on, yeah. So Colin, how many uh, actors did you give concussions by dropping that thing down? So <laughs> <laughs> Only three. 
Only three high school kids. <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, yeah, I love that, and I love that um, opening song. It, it it tells you everything that you need to know to get you off on the right start. It's very Motown. It's very um, like just like doo-wop, and it's got like yeah. Tashina Arnold, Tisha Campbell, and Michelle. Like yeah, I think yeah, this. Was, is, I think this was the- their first roles. Um, at least I believe Tisha Campbell and Tashina Arnold. Um, and there's like an interesting story where like Tashina Arnold talks about how like when she, like when Tisha Campbell got the role she like was like oh no I'm bringing you with me like you're coming with me so <laughs> I was wow. like that was a really cool story of like oh yeah no like we're we're like we're best friends if one of us gets something like we're both gonna go for it and um, that happens later in their career too when they go to Martin Martin uh, yep <laughs> um, um, and so I just love that beginning that that was one of the first things i wrote down is we come from this opening scroll into this awesome like doo-wop number and immediately this this greek chorus that we have is just absolute fire right everything they do it just it slaps so hard (laughs) the the costumes the hitting every note oh Oh my god those dresses oh oh like those like little like they like raindrop dresses like they're like uh you know they've got like just like the little uh spaghetti straps straps, and thank you and then they come out and poof at the bottom and they look like a like a little raindrop shape and they're polka dotted and ah dead on and i love it throughout each of their the times the greek chorus show up they're they have a variation on each other's costumes there's always one subtle difference between all three of them and that's one of those things i love watching for is like what's going to be different in this one <laughs> right. yeah. the, the costuming is just one part of like how fantastic the overall production design in this film is because everything is is so meticulous it's like i wrote down like dingy beautiful as an aesthetic yes. for, for this movie <laughs> Uh, it's got like a real cool mix of effects. We got like matte paintings and miniatures and like obviously puppets because it's a movie that's directed by Frank Oz. I mean, it's got puppet work in this film that is unrivaled. But I mean, if it it's weren't got just 2D, for the greatness got... of the songs and the greatness of performances, you could just look at this movie. Yeah, I mean, uh, Colin, your background there, the kind of tin ceiling detail that they have, right? Note to the production designers of Cats, right? Note note to that production design team. That's how you do grungy beautiful, right? Like, why didn't you just reuse their set? production team <laughs> yeah no it's it's it's, uh, it's wild going from one of the worst like musical movie musicals i've ever, ever seen in my life to coming to this which i'm like oh god this is exactly what we needed after that like this is your palate cleanser the taste it of was, like yep. cat shit and litter out of our mouths <laughs> from that movie <laughs> uh, hey, yeah it's, it's, it's a cat shit <laughs> <laughs> Oh, hey, God, hey guys, I don't I've know what it says, but it sounds worse. I've got a cat in the room. You need to chill up with the negative cat speak right now. <laughs> <laughs> it will scratch your eyes out. Like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like you were saying, that production quality, it just goes throughout this movie. And it's so, and oddly, uh, the movie that it reminds me of is uh, Alien. Um, yes. Like that, it, the world like feels so very lived in, in a way that like, and, and this is obviously more theatrical, more, it's more of like a, a comedic type of movie. And so some of those elements are a little bit more like, you know, caricaturized, but they do look very, it looks like a world. Like it looks like you are immersed in this place. Mm-hmm. 
and it's got a touch of camp and a touch right. of genuine. Oh, a touch. A, a touch, touch, yeah, right? A touch <laughs> of camp. <laughs> no, my background, right? <laughs> Just a smidge of camp. Yeah. I mean, it's, got a, it's got a smattering of camp, right? But then it also has this real genuine heart to it, right? Mm -hmm. And so the fact that they're able to play both of those off in the design, in the songs, in the performances, I think it's really astounding, right? That Audrey is a caricature, right? She's basically playing... Um, Marilyn Monroe's character in Some Like It Hot, right? Like, you're, I was like waiting for her to say the classic line about, um, you know, I always get the fuzzy end of the lollipop from that movie, right? Like, she's like just barely, almost says it, right? Um, but it's still, she, you feel for her, right? And it's still really genuine and, and moving. And so to be able to play that camp, heightened theatricality, over the top, but it's in a whole world and that world is rooted in, you know, character. Ah. Note to cats. Note to cats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, this is 100% gay camp. Like, this yes. is, like, <laughs> a camp that is, uh, like, so, like, lovingly rendered that you just, like, you can tell that, like, yes, it's meant to be, like, fun and funny, but it's also, like, a lot of people, like, were earnest about doing that, and so they actually put the work and the time and the love and the care into making it, like, again, this very over-the-top thing, but still rooted in this very character-driven emotionality. Yeah, <laughs> and I feel like a great example of the production's production design is uh, this dog. Thank you. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Can't figure out we, we were talking just before we started recording <laughs> and i said like is it just me or like that dog in the somewhere that's green thing do you always think it's a puppet and then you move you go oh my god i moved <laughs> <laughs> so you think it's a, you think it's a puppet then it moves and then later when audrey's packing up to go somewhere that's green she's a stuffed animal version of the dog and it's like that kind of repetition ah oh, it's beautiful it's beautiful so well done I mean, while we're on uh, Audrey and while we're on Somewhere That's Green, I just want to talk about Somewhere That's Green because it's it's probably my favorite it's probably my favorite song in this show. It, it's kind of tied with Suddenly Seymour, but I think it is by far the best I want song in musical theater because mm -hmm. like that's a big deal in musicals. Is like a character has a song about like oh I want this I want that and Somewhere That's Green is is such a perfect I want song because it's so sadly beautiful like this right. downtrodden woman is just dreaming about a, a slightly lesser version of oppression like she wants to go yeah. from being you know beaten up to being donna reed like right. she wants to like be expected to have dinner on the table at 601 and and all yeah. of that on she's longing for this enormous like, 12 and scream <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, and like her expectations are like even still for her wildest dreams are low. She goes, not some fancy place like Levittown, just a little thing, you know. Like she wants a tract house. She does not want a Levittown house. Like, right. Not even going all the way to the suburbs. Yeah, she, she wants. Is, she wants. Uh, you know, frozen dinners, like plastic on the furniture. <laughs> furniture. She begins by describing the house as a matchbox of our own. Yeah. yeah. Like like just this little tract house with a chain link fence. And, and <laughs> he's longing oh. for this 1950s Leave it to Beaver aesthetic that never actually existed as much as Republicans want you to think it did. Mm -hmm. And it's, <laughs> it's so kind of sadly beautiful. And what, what Ellen Green does particularly with this song, and, and not as many people do all the time who have done it on, in other Broadway productions or off-Broadway productions, is, 
is to play this one pause right at the end because the song climaxes with a picture out of Better Homes and Gardens magazine and then it comes crashing down around her with the line, far from Skid Row because the, the fantasy is over and now she's remembering, oh, I'm here in Skid Row. It, right. It's right. so perfectly beautiful when it's done with this little pause. And that song describes the sights, it describes the flavors, the smell that it smells like pine salt, right? Mm -hmm. That she's coveting that she has a toaster. <laughs> like, wow, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? The, the 2D animated bird comes in, like um, uh, uh, Snow White. Snow White, right? <laughs> it, it, it has like the sounds and the smells, and then it, you're right, Colin, it all comes crashing down. For those of you who are vocal performers, I do have a question about, there's something she does with her voice, and I think it has a term, but it's like that vocal catch that she does, the right, that the catch, what is that called? Do you know what that's called? It has a, I, I probably should know, but I, <laughs> yeah, okay, all right, I tried, like, it's not a glottal stop. Uh, yeah, I was like, that's the only one stop was literally the first thing that I thought of. <laughs> So, I, listeners, maybe somebody knows, right? And it's funny because she does it in not only in like her singing performance, um, but like I was like, Ellen Green is fucking phenomenal, like yes. uh, amazing singer. Yes. Uh, and she does it like even when she's like talking when Seymour introduces uh, Audrey too. She's like, he's like, oh yeah, I named it after you. And she's like me, and she does like this little like. Ah! The it's like a little squeak. like squeak yeah. and it's just so like her like breathing in but like that note that she does it's like it's like a whistle like, note yeah it's, it's yeah. a very note. technical yeah. thing that she does with that where i was just like oh my god i rewound it and watched it like 10 so times. did i so did i i also rewound um where she's where she uh as she's singing she's also bringing in the lisp at really key moments yeah yes like to be able to have that type of and then when she does the going back to you calling your ranting it suddenly seymour being tied to this i really totally agree with somewhere that's green and uh uh suddenly seymour being the like i tear up you know I'm oh like, yeah right like i i want you to be somewhere that's green but it's the when she the, the show me i can and really starts belting it out without all of the kind of affectation that she's using and it becomes her like more natural singing voice ah to move in between them it's so heartbreaking mm -hmm. it's so beautiful yeah ah, yeah i can't ever listen to her sing it without crying honestly like this is this is my favorite movie, and if you ask me my favorite song, it's probably Somewhere That's Green. And I don't mean from this movie, I mean of all time. Somewhere That's Green brings me up so like romantically and then crashes me down so hard to reality again. It like it hurts, but it's beautiful every yeah. time. Like yeah. the, like you talked about like the chain link fence. She doesn't say it's chain link fence, she says a fence of real, real chain, chain link. link. Like <laughs> that to right. her is so much better than what she has currently, which is probably like a door with a busted lock. That yes. like, you know, because like, let's face it, her boyfriend, and we'll get to him, he kicks that door in so hard so many times. Yes, and yeah. she has a, you know, first uh, floor, uh, uh, what's that called? Uh, like uh, road like facing. Yeah. yeah, but it's like, that's like the most dangerous apartment yeah. you can have, right? <laughs> and I love how in the film it does, it's the pull out from her shitty little apartment mm -hmm. and then it's the crane shot up to our greek chorus to start the next scene it is yeah. so both i think that uh i think parasite crushing. stole that i think parasite stole that yes. shot. <laughs> from the window up. Yes, yes. <laughs> but, but yeah you're you're right Tara. like that pull up to then do the what is it some fun now 
where yes. Seymour's feeding, like, because the audience has just been brought so low, like, and like heartbroken, but like, okay, we got to get the energy back up in this film. This is supposed to be fun. Like, we don't want people leaving, like, okay, guys, uh, cyanide and razor blades are under your seats. Like, have fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, and I think so that the movie also does a really good job of, uh, you know, to get, um, get, I'm pulling out my soapbox here. Here we go. Uh, you know, so whether you know it's intentional or not there's a lot of uh you know undertones of you know the dangers of capitalism and mm -hmm. you know the greed within that and yes. uh and, and i think that it's interesting how it does keep juxtaposing these things of like uh these like really shiny you know beautiful upbeat moments that are um you know brought next to this song like somewhere that's green like where you have like <laughs> hey this person is down in the gutter but right over here this person is like literally you know feeding <laughs> people to this like plant in <laughs> to order get to get somewhere succeed. that's green and it's ha <laughs> they're just having a rip-roaring time like they're just having a wonderful time and so like, i love that this movie is able to do that with just twisting that up twisting it up <laughs> it really does. It really well, does. There's also a critique or like a, a, a warning of the dangers of capitalism at the end when when Jim Belushi wants to like take buds and like sell Audrey twos and get them like in every house in America. It, it's like, oh no, we can't let this kind of danger spread. And uh, we can talk about, I don't know if we mentioned it on or off the call, but uh, we talked about the actual ending or like the bad ending. Yeah, um, the true ending. The way that the, the Broadway show ends. And the way that the original uh, 1960 film ends is that um, the plants win. The plants mm -hmm. like actually spread across the whole world and basically destroy the human race. Yeah, and that's well. The in the original 1960 movie, the plants don't don't like really spread across the whole world. It's pretty like localized, but it like eats everyone. Like it eats well. That movie has some interesting uh, yeah, we, we <laughs> some choices. Some choices were made in that movie. Uh, <laughs> but the two different, I don't know which movie you watched, but I actually watched the director's cut, which has mm -hmm. the original ending, um, which is like really just so, so sad and realistic too, because I don't know. I, I remember watching the, the the movie with like the theatrical ending where it's like, and it felt so abrupt when Seymour and Audrey just like are like, cool, and now we're off. Like, right. that's right. it. We made it. <laughs> and, and it right like, off into sunset. Yeah, and like that doesn't feel right. And it's, yeah, and it's not the way that it originally ends because, um, yeah, the movie takes it to the place where Audrey ends up like there's a repri a reprise to somewhere that's green mm -hmm. where Audrey is being fed to the plant and she's saying, you know, you can water me and feed me like as the plant because I am now giving myself to it to be eaten. And so now you'll still have this connection to me. Whoa. Somewhere that's honestly green. that just thinking about it really <laughs> Wow, that's really dark. A bit, yeah. 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 And then so and then the plant ends up also eating Seymour mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, well, because well, Seymour has the genius idea oh I'm gonna jump into its mouth with a, like a gardening shear and try to get right. it from the inside like <laughs> no think better like this thing eats people like what makes you think you can jump into a wood chipper and disassemble it from the inside right <laughs> it worked in Sharknado 
Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, for playing by Sharknado rules, you know, that's a whole other movie. Yeah. Um, so Gregory, if this is your favorite movie, is it the uh, Frank Oz 80s one that's your favorite movie? Yes. Or is it your favorite? Or, and so how, what do you feel about well, the Well, okay, here's the thing. I, I like, there's something about this that just in general I like, you know. Um, of course, the 1986 Frank Oz version is the one I fell in love with the most in the first. But I mean, I do like the original as well, the 1961, um, but that one's really weird. But like even like parallels to it, for some reason I'm drawn to, like there's this really mature um, uh, kind of Lovecraftian horror game called Saya no Ute, which means son of Saya, which essentially is this. But instead mm -hmm. of like a plant, it's like a Lovecraft monster and the guy kind of like takes care of it and then it takes over humanity, you know? Um, very mature. So, like, if you're underage and you're listening to this, do not look it up. <laughs> like, I don't think anyone underage yeah. listens to our right. podcast. Uh, I don't think so. But, um, yeah, I think our, like, our demo is like 40 to 55. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but um, it, it's just, it's, I don't know what it is. It's something about it that just kind of lures me, you know? And I mean, yeah. I always I always joke with other friends, like, oh, Greg, it's because you're in divorce, isn't it? And I'm like, no, that's not it. Like, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> well, it is very it's a classic tale like it is very like faustian deal like it is i think it, that's it yeah it's yeah. you know it's all about audrey sweet talking seymour and like i think yeah it's about the corruption of human morals and you know seymour is a very put upon lowly guy and here like in the original song i have the lyrics here let me get them here for uh skid row um you know seymour oh where did i put it Anyway, Seymour is essentially like, someone show me a way to get out of here. Yeah. I would move heaven and hell to get out of Skid. Meaning, like, he's already saying to the world, like, in the universe, like, give me any reason and I'll do whatever it takes to get out of the situation. Here comes Audrey, too. And what's great is that it's a slow buildup. You know, it's at first everyone's putting him down. Then Seymour essentially starts to self harm by pricking his own finger to feed Audrey and goes, well, it's okay if I do it to myself. Right, and then, right. you know, like eventually it's, well, here's a guy who's horrible to women, who is beating the woman that I love. Maybe if he goes, it's okay, you know? And, and he already dies, right? He's already dead. Right, right? and so like, I didn't yeah. kill him. Yeah, because he, because uh, Oren Scrivello, by the way, great name, mom, Oren Scrivello. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, he puts on like this, like really weird, kinky, like oxygen mask that like gives him nitrous and makes him giggle and he can't take it off and he essentially suffocates himself. And Seymour's like, well, it's gonna go to waste. So. <laughs> yeah, but, but like, then even with that first moment, like there's already an escalation of even that because he goes in prepared to kill him and doesn't have to, but then when he brings him back to Audrey 2, Audrey 2 is like, chop him up. Like, yeah. And, and so yep. that's already just like this. And, then, and Seymour's escalation. like, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just an escalation, escalation, escalation of like, he just keeps pushing his morals further and further. And to me, the ultimate pinnacle of it, and it's not really shown as well in the movie, but in the Broadway production with the Meek Shown Harris, where all these people are coming to him saying like, I want you to be in the cover of Time Magazine. I want you to do these like, you know, weekly talk shows and stuff like that. He seems to himself like, if I keep, doing this, it means more killing, but also my mm -hmm. bank account will climb. What yeah. am I saying? Like, I can't do this. But then he goes, but then there's Audrey, lovely Audrey. And if I don't do this, she won't want me anymore. Yeah. And then she like- She might not want me. Yeah. She might not need me. 
without my plants, she won't love me anymore. Yeah, and then so what's great is my favorite moment that's not in this film is Seymour just kind of going, where do I sign? You know, just like you can see the exact moment or at least hear the exact moment of when he like, okay, I'm giving up. I, I'm giving in whatever you want, plant. Let's do this, you know? And I, yeah, it's like you said, it's Faustian. It's like, at what point does a human being like, give it all up and just say like, okay, like everything's off the table. Like, let's go for it. You know? Yeah. And it, it is like a, it's a, it's a slow erosion. Uh, and you see it happen as the plant not only like gets bigger itself, but like it starts like offering bigger things, you know, it's got the, mm-hmm. you know, how about a date with Hayden Lamar or, or a guest shot on yeah. Jack Parr? You know, all of these things that I'm sure everyone here knows exactly who they are and doesn't. Right. Those such contemporary Google references, I'm sure yeah. everybody <laughs> and can. No one needs to do any Google search to know who those people are. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and so the plant's just like, yeah, you know, I can get it for you. You know, all you got to do is, you know, feed me. And like you're saying, initially it was Seymour like feeding itself to, you know, the the machine, the plant, the, you know, this like force of corruption. And as it like needs more and more, then he has to start feeding it more and more. Mm -hmm. And then it starts with, oh, this is justifiable to, oh, now I need to cover my tracks to, oh, this was an accident, but uh, here we are. Like, it's <laughs> justify the means, right? Yeah. My ends always just, I, so I really like the way you all are describing it. I'm just putting some words together. You all are saying it's a Faustian slow moral erosion for kids, yeah. right? <laughs> but it, it even begins from a place of desperation when he first discovers that he has to feed Audrey to blood. He's He's got the whole song, uh, Grow For Me, where he's listing all the things that he's done. Like, I've given you potash, you've given me zip. And then mm-hmm. at one point, out of frustration, he says, what do you want from me, blood? And that's when he, like, pricks his finger and discovers that, oh, no, the plant wants blood. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it begins from a place that he's, like, at the end of his rope. He has nothing else to do. So he, he, there's nowhere for him to, to go but into that decline. Now, I've got a question for you guys, because I've had debates about this with friends um, before, and we had talked about it a little bit before recording. Do we, th- what is the driving power behind this er- eroding morals? Because I think, and I, Colin, you're going to say, oh, it's just a James Bond theory all over again, Greg, but I think there's pheromones involved. <laughs> the I, what, think, <laughs> I think there are pheromones involved here, because... You know, if you think about it, like it is a plant, you know, so like it does release certain perfumes. And the idea that this plant finds the one loser guy on all of planet Earth to do this. And then also at the end, with the bad ending with Don't Feed the Plants, they have the lyrics, subsequent to the events you have just witnessed, unsuspecting jerks from Maine to California made the acquaintance of a new fly trap and got sweet talked into feeding blood. That means that like, you have to keep finding just the right guys to be like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Okay, sure, I'll you know feed blood. See, and but then- I, I think that I, I think that that's the part of the point is that it could just be anyone, and it it's not, and it could be any, it could be anyone. Yeah, and yeah. So and so that's like the the thing of like the desperation and where I feel like the whole American dream of it comes into play of like 
it's these like things that are like you know it's promising you all of these like you know this notoriety it's promising mm-hmm. you this like feeling of uniqueness and individuality and specialness and exceptionalism and all of these things are being promised uh you know at the cost of like how much are you willing to like how much are you willing to corrupt yourself or how much are you willing to uh you know hurt other people to get what you want out of life and that is i think a part of what plays in in those undertones of like how this plant is able to appeal to so many people because the like when that final scene where it is doing the whole don't feed the plants because like in the director's cut like the whole last like seven minutes is just like these plants like completely like fucking shit up like mm-hmm. like you said it starts like with Godzilla that, like, movie yeah yeah it, <laughs> like like you said it starts with that like you know subsequent to the events you have just witnessed and then it goes into don't feed the plants where it's just like plants coming out of buildings and then the the final scene of the director's cut is like one of the plants like literally has its like tentacles coming down through the statue of liberty like mm-hmm. it's like in its nice. brain like it's nice. like seeping into its brain and like roaring from the top of the statue of liberty so it's like i think it's very much like saying this is something that could happen to anyone this is something that we're all engaging on in some like former fashion like to like fulfill you know the american dream to uh you know become like you know like you know a jeff bezos or you know uh oh i mean sorry twitch i mean (laughs) 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 owned by amazon (laughs) um but like you know it's like all of these things that like um you know how far are you willing to go to get that success um right and and as much as much as like we can you know somewhere that's green is about material things pine saw and toasters and stuff and fences it's also about this a sense of safety right Mm -hmm. that if she can get out of skid row she's not going to have the abusive boyfriend blah 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 but it's this mistake right because it's not that in you know a tract home in that community there's not endless domestic violence also right it's false promise of safety that for me is part of it is that uh Seymour will be happier because he won't be alone and he won't be a loser, right? And Audrey will feel safe. And yeah. neither of those things are true <laughs> necessarily, right? Neither yeah. of these are guarantees, yeah. And those are like the only two options in this movie. Like, it's like, yeah. it's either like be in Skid Row and like figure something out. Like, you know, he already looks like, you know, he's like in his maybe like mid twenties to like, uh, you know, like mid to late twenties in this movie. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, he's spent his whole life here as an orphan, a child of the street, here on Skid Row, you know? <laughs> it's so hard not to do lyrics. Poor, all my life. <laughs> you know, I've always been poor. I keep asking God when I'm poor, you know? All of these yeah, things were like, we see, like, sure. he just literally has no alternatives, no other options. This thing comes in and says, hey, I can take care of you. Like, I can get you out of this. And, you know, you'll even, you know, be able to help that person that you, you know, love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you'll be able to provide things for her too. Yeah, and, and so, the, the, our Greek course doesn't have any options either, right? That they left school at 15 or whatever. You know, that it's of this kind of desperation, but the uh, kind of solution for it is kind of unchecked capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, how do you intend to better yourselves? Better ourselves. Better ourselves. Better ourselves. Um, <laughs> oof, that's so great. Such a wonderful of, um, moment. 
Speaking of unchecked capitalism, can we talk about the really, really bad uh, Asian stereotype in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> where in the scene where they're talking, the Dadu number, um, where Seymour gets uh, Audrey to, he, he talks about how he bought Audrey to from this old Chinese guy who sold it to me anyways for $1.95. This guy is like literally the opposite of the uh, shop owner from Gremlins. Yeah. The shop owner in Gremlins, he's like, you're not ready for this supernatural creature. I don't care how much money you throw at me, white guy. You're not getting the mogwai. I'm sorry. <laughs> this guy's like, hmm, a weird, unexpected total eclipse of the sun happened. Green emerald lightning just struck the ground like two meters from where I'm standing. A weird humming happened. What's this plant that I don't recall having two seconds before my inventory? How much you got in your pocket? You know, it's like he's willing to just yeah. like, oh yeah, capitalism, sure, whatever. I don't care. Uh, $1.95. Why yeah, this, this this trope, right, is so problematic in the same way magical Negroes are. I think uh, Arista Development said it really, like, kind of coined a fun way of saying it, which is ancient Chinese secret. Right, right. right. That Jed goes to, uh, Joe gets to get, you know, tea for dong at ancient Chinese secret. And I feel like that's, it's that same kind of pervasive, which, which is negative, terrible stereotype. A, a reference to capitalism, because that's a line from an old um, detergent ad. Is it? Where this guy would uh, be getting his shirts back from the dry cleaner oh, and he'd be like, oh, how did God. you do this? He'd say ancient Chinese, the guy would, this caricature, this absolute stereotype would say ancient Chinese secret. And then the, the guy's wife would pull out a box of the detergent and go ancient Chinese secret, huh? Yeah, I remember oh, that commercial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm embarrassed for that. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that like, you know, Mushnik is very much is very mm -hmm. similar in that aspect too because it's like he's willing to uh you know overlook uh Seymour killing uh killing Orange Scrivello in order to make more money like mm -hmm. he's like well if you just leave tell me how to feed the plant tell me how to take care of the plant and like just allow me to have all of like the notoriety and money off of this situation then I'll let you go and you can just lay low for the next 20 or 30 years. So it's like, you know, I, I, I think there is an element of, you know, it is, it was the eighties. So um, <laughs> none of these things are being like checked. These are yeah. all unchecked. Uh, and so like, yeah, there's definitely some issues in like the characters that they chose to like have these characteristics and there's definitely some bias there. Uh, but like also the overall theme of the movie is like about like how capitalism and greed uh you know oh, are these like consuming obsessions <laughs> so yeah i'm not i'm definitely not gonna i'm definitely not giving it a pass on any of that but uh it also <laughs> is something that like because yeah they got to choose who they had be these characters so <laughs> but yeah it is an overall theme in the movie and i think that the uh, look, sorry, kind of go, to go back a little bit on this kind of amazing, but also like really sad thing. It's like the song that has like a really great, like catchy tune, but is like about the most depressing thing ever. Uh, like Skid Row is just like so yeah. wonderfully that yeah. song Oof. where it's just like, you know, Oof. it's this like really kind of like upbeat, like catchy know. song. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, you know, uh, you know, the bosses take your money, uh, you know, all you do is like scrub floors and you have to take care of all of these like entitled people 
who are just like who are all uptown crap. Yep. yeah who are like all of uptown <coughs> yeah that's such a powerful number i remember i think I must have watched this probably the first time on a VHS tape. <laughs> and I remember when it yeah, got to I the end. Also. Yeah, it got to the end of that number and my sister and I rewound it to rewatch that number again. Yeah. yeah. You get to the end of it and you're like, oh, it was so just so powerful. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when it starts out, just like that, alone goes up at seven. And I love that intro belt, too. Like, it's just like, yes. Yes, we are in a world. <laughs> and then at the end, it's just like, the sky, like, let's, we have to get out of this place. Mm -hmm. It's like Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> but but the, the very next lines that she sings after, like, uh, you start up town is, you put in your eight hours for the powers that have, that have always, always been. been mm -hmm. yeah. Till it's five feet. All right, so I'm not gonna sing the entire song, I promise. <laughs> no, we could. I'm fine with the entire song right now. I think that's a sing-along special right. extra one. <laughs> you do you. <laughs> we could have a sing-along of Suddenly Seymour because I, one of the things in my notes was that I stood up to sing along with some right. yes. when I was watching this the other night. I actually was like laying down with you know, full sloth mode with like this mm -hmm. bowl of popcorn and shoveling it in and then pausing <laughs> eating to sing. <laughs> yeah, this is like, uh, yeah, like again, like going from Cats to this where I, know. I don't even, I don't know, I can't think of one song from Cats that I actually like, actually enjoy. Oh no, Memory. Memory. Like that's, that's, that's the one uh, song in Cats. And I know and we talked about this in that episode of like, just that, Andrew Lloyd Webber is still good at having that one song, but this is just like every song in this movie is just a fucking hit. And it's also the way it's all shot, right? That you have this mixture of close-ups and wide mm -hmm. shots, multi-camera scenes, the crane shot that we talked about. Every shot in this is deliberate, right? Uh, when all the feet on Skid Row are kind of marching in unison, right? Like this real attention to craft and detail, right? And that's all Frank Oz. Uh, and <laughs> unlike Cats, maybe it's a good idea to get someone who knows how to work with puppets to shoot a movie with a giant puppet in it, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like cats, it's like, have you, do you know anything about animation? Clearly not, because that's how we end up in the uncanny valley of like no nipple land, right? Yeah, and just constant shoulder moving, just and like. Just, <laughs> what, that's not dancing, that's just, not just dancing. Just moving your shoulders to. That's also not music. I know. <laughs> Colin, I really, I've been thinking about the like, I'm a cat. This is the cat I am. I'm a cat. This is the cat I am. That's all the fucking movie is. You're totally right. It's the entire play. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. But on that, on the note about directing. So Roger Corman did the first one, right? And so Roger Corman uh, in the short is like a godfather of indie cinema. That's where Scorsese, uh, Coppola, uh, John Sayles, uh, James Cameron. There's at least two other major directors that I can't think of right now who got their start with Roger Corbett, right? And so, and then Frank Oz coming from Sesame Street and Yoda and that whole world, but then also his live action directing career. So I feel like here it's like the two of them dovetailing beautifully, right? The kind of I agree. Yeah. work in this kind of semi-fantasy land of Sesame Street, right? Like where you have puppets and real humans and it's a stylized city, but it's still believable and charming and is a world 
right? That ability plus the kind of strength of the musical together. I think it's just kind of, that's the part of the winning combination is a strong director who knows the terrain and knows what they're doing. Yeah. Right. There's, there's very few differences between the Roger Corman film and the Frank Oz film. They're, they're very, very different movies. Like the, the Roger Corman movie is this real kind of broad, strange comedy. It, like, it starts out as like a dragnet parody and then like, <laughs> With like a cop narration who you don't yeah, meet until the last 20 minutes of the film. Yeah. What? I, I haven't yeah, seen it. Yeah, it's like it. a That's noir like, film type yeah, of deal. It's, like... a, it's a noir. And then at one point there are two cops who are having a dragnet back and forth with each other. And um, the, the Seymour character is much more of a bumbling, like goofus type of dude. Like mm-hmm. he, he like stumbles his way into killing people in the Roger Corman film more than like it's something he's deliberately doing or, or more like something that they're commenting on. It's, it, it's a very strange, strange movie. Did you see, did you notice the, um, the big cameo in that one? Mm-hmm. Oh uh, yeah. Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Like so young Jack Nicholson. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I only recognized him from that creepy grin that he has. Exactly. That grin. <laughs> if, if it wasn't for the fact, like if he was in COVID times and wearing a mask, I'd be like, who's that? <laughs> yeah but he's again, like the uh he's like the uh bill murray character in this in the in the original like the guy who like really wants yeah, the sadist the guy yeah. who, who wants by the dentist <laughs> corman yeah. launched the careers of so many of that generation actors right all those indie actors who then went on to be mainstream but dennis hopper uh jack nicholson who else uh, uh the one of the fondas uh, peter fonda right like he really launched all of their careers so it's to me it's like this really exciting trajectory of kind of independent cinema right into kind of mainstream 80s but doing mainstream 80s so well mm-hmm. <laughs> right and there's a reason why this has become a classic film um, and I, I think the choice to change you know to ha- film the alternate happy ending I don't know if it would be as much of a hit if it had that terrifying ending right like I'm, I'm really curious I think if it were made today maybe they could get away with that yeah I, I, I think I today like it probably would it would probably hit because we're all at, uh, you know, yeah. critical mask in, in terms of like late stage capitalism. So late I feel like a movie like this. Plus like, climate change. It's like, the two, you know, one, inter, you know, one with the other. Yeah. So yeah. I think yeah, if this, if this movie had come out with that ending today, it would have probably, it would have been a hit, but I feel for, yeah, 1986. Um, yeah. And I think a lot, it's interesting that a lot of these themes, uh, because the original movie was in 1980, or the original musical. The, the play uh, was in 1982. Yeah, because it, yeah, it went from movie to play to movie musical. Oh, uh, I didn't know it that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, and so, so this was all happening, like, right as, like, Reagan was elected. Like, all this is happening, like, right in that little, in that, in that time period. So I could see, like, this, like, again, being, like, some off-off-Broadway thing that happened like in 1982 and then by the time it made it to theaters in 86 it was like oh we have to like make this like cute and happy by the end of it (laughs) but it but it still has all that critique you know reaganomics critique in there exactly it's still there which i which i really so i realize we haven't talked about like the things this movie is perhaps most famous for like the puppetry or the dentist song (laughs) right Right. or bill murray like we haven't even touched on the kind of most quote unquote most famous things so i don't know if anyone wants to start somewhere on that (laughs) Uh, we we can start in on the dentist that's actually a weird (laughs) story about my connection to this movie um, is that the first time I was ever exposed to it was, I don't know if it was the movie or the stage play, but my oldest brother 
played the dentist in his high school's production of this. Hmm. And so I got to see, you know, the stage play and then we probably had the movie on VHS or something. So we watched a whole bunch of it. And then um, what's funny is that my middle brother then went on to marry a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, um, those dentists in their teeth, man. <laughs> the dentist who's played by Steve Martin is this like sadistic character who uh, this movie has proven to me that Steve Martin would have made a really good Joker if somebody had cast right? Steve Martin. Oh, yeah. um, he still would. This, he still could yeah. be. <laughs> he's still alive. <laughs> right? But he's the, the sadistic like kind of Elvis type character of a dentist who uses his uh, position as a dentist basically to torture people. Mm -hmm. And that, that's one of the most famous songs in the show is the You'll be a dentist. You have a talent for causing things pain. Pain. So be a dentist. Be a dentist. Ooh, nice. Um, this movie yeah. is full of all sorts of good cameos. Like we know that Bill Murray comes in and he's the sadist in this one who loves and kind of ruins it for Steve Martin. I guess he loves the screams of terror. And there in his clients, but the Bill Murray's into it. So he goes, "No, you're you're not doing it for me, buddy. Leave." You know? <laughs> but did you guys catch the Harry Potter reference in this film, or the Harry yes. Potter connection? Yes, I, I yes. Go ahead. No, you do it. You I didn't I didn't see it as Harry Potter. I just I, I know that actress. So okay, yeah, because <laughs> um, one of my houses, I I always say like people have a, should have a fallback house. I'm Ravenclaw fallback Hufflepuff. Like if Ravenclaw's too full, I'm like okay, we got to put you somewhere else. Um, <laughs> And so my beloved um, Professor Sprouts is in this as that nurse who tells him, like, ask him yourself, I'm on lunch. Yes. Oh. And she oh, is an ex Professor Sprouts. Yes. Mm -hmm. And she, uh, Mira Margulies, is a very famous British stage actress who has been out longer than I've been alive. And watching her on Graham Norton, watching her tell stories about the time she met Laurence Olivier and began to cream in her knickers. <laughs> and watching all of the other male guests lose their shit. She, there's actually a supercut of 45 minutes of her on the Graham Norton show. Oh, I gotta find Watching that. her time after time after time. Uh, like really, she knows exactly what she's doing, right? As like a gay woman, uh, you know, performer. And she like does these like meandering stories that start out really sweet and aren't they so cute? And oh, nope. And now she's having sex with a boy on a bicycle. You know, it's like, <laughs> how did that so check it out. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I saw uh, Christopher Guest is in this too. Yeah. <laughs> is he dubbed? I think he might be overdubbed. I think that whole scene is like yeah. there's like all like when the plant. It's literally as soon as <laughs> Moshnik is like, uh, "What you think? Just because you put some plant in the mirrors, people are gonna just like start coming?" And then he's like, "Oh, what's that peculiar plant there in the window?" Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think it is overdubbed, but for effect because they yeah. want it to yeah. seem that strange. That like. I just came oh. in to see you that strange and interesting plant. Yeah. <laughs> Why? While I'm here, I might as well, well take $50 worth of roses. <laughs> exactly. Okay, he's willing to drop $100 for roses in an economically depressed area. That reinforces my pheromone theories. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, I think the other moment they intentionally overdub like that, where they ADR loop it, is... Um, when it's all the contract signing, because that's also mm -hmm. kind of over the top, and right. the lip sync doesn't quite match up. Like it's it's kind of 
it, it's bad enough that it's intentional. You know what I mean? Because Frank Oz knows how to do ADR. He knows how to do that correctly. <laughs> We also have a, a cameo from John Candy in this movie as the oh, radio host uh, who hosts the, the show where people bring in their weird and crazy stuff. And, and just again, with the attention to the production design and the world building, we pan out to show the people's weird, crazy stuff. And there's a little person who has a mannequin dressed as a nun that is playing an alto sax. Yes. <laughs> we have some guy like, with a flying uh, machine old, that he seems to have built. Yeah, some guy with some sort of strange flying apparatus. We have an old woman with like what looks like a brick purse, like wrapped in heavy chains, as if she's gonna like drag somebody down to the ocean with this thing. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, are there any other cameos? I think that's probably most of them. I, that's pretty much it. There, we already okay. mentioned Jim Belushi, who I feel like he just wandered onto set and was like, okay, I guess I can do this for your afternoon, you know? Yeah. I, I did. I think I heard that that was supposed to be somebody else and they had to cancel, so they got Jim Belushi, like, last minute. Yeah, I... So, from what I heard, like, the original movie was essentially just, like, a test to see if they could make a movie in a ridiculous short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, Roger Corman. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I feel like uh, the some of the the themes, which I, I think were, I think I'm all, a little bit upended in this one, like, because everyone in the original one, it feels like is their deaths never really feels like that impactful. It's like mm-hmm. they're supposed to be like these, like, uh, you know, in, like inconsequential people who like are like from the wrong side of the tracks. You know, there's like, oh yeah, like the alcoholic and then the, uh, you know, the sex worker. And, you know, at the end it's like, well, Seymour, he was the asshole who was killing everyone. So of course he, he has to die. Uh, and so I think that, I really think that this is one of the uh, few examples of something that like takes the original source material and actually made something better of it. Like. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> now, if you want to talk about making something worse out of it, though, did you guys know there's a cartoon? Oh, God. I did I, not know that. When, no. when is this from? There was a ninth, like an early 90s cartoon. I've linked a little thing in our um, Zoom here so you can see the image of it. They take all the characters and they age them back about 15 years. So Seymour and Audrey Ooh. are in middle school. Audrey is the daughter of Mushnick. Every episode, she's obsessed with becoming some new profession. Like the first one, she just wants to be a firefighter. So she's always obsessed with hose and like ladders and stuff. You have a bully character in here who wears headgear and is always like messy with Seymour. He like puts him into his dental like band-aids or like uh, rubber bands and snaps him back. Not named Orin Scrivello. The <laughs> dental bully is named Pain Driller. Wow. and because it's a kid's cartoon of course you can have people be murdered or audrey drinking blood so audrey jr and they don't call it audrey too they just call it audrey jr in this one like in the original first of all it raps every single episode there's at least two or three raps that audrey jr does i'm guessing it's like white rapping from the yes yeah it was the 90s like one of the most standout raps it does it's about lies 
big ones, small ones, little ones, white lies, flies, you know, like it's all about like lies are bad, you know? <sighs> so it's one of those that always has a message. And Audrey is constantly, or Audrey Jr. is constantly trying to wake the other plants up so that it can have sort of like an overthrow of humanity and have plants take over the world again. So it's constantly just shouting at daisies in Mushnik's like stores and like, wake up, get moving, we gotta do this. Like, oh my like, God. Like inciting like a revolution. Like, yeah, but like they're, they're just daisies <laughs> so they don't do anything. So Audrey's like always like, how do I get this to work? But the that entire, looks, the entire series starts off with the best line in all of cartoon history. Seymour's introducing himself as he wakes up like, hi, my name's Seymour Crowborn. I've been working towards being a nerd for the past 13 years, but so far I'm not successful because I don't have the brains for it. Like, your goal is to be a nerd? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? There's, there's this amazing uh, YouTube clip where these people like really deep dive into the entire series. I highly recommend it. Just look up Little Shop of Horrors cartoon and you'll, you'll find all sorts of people like analyzing this for how bad it is. It's, it's <sighs> truly, truly wonderful. And then the last little bit of promo work they had here that I'll link here as well is, did you know there's a board game? <laughs> no. I, I found this out. I also, because, you know, of my uh, Friday's Game Night uh, podcast, so I like to always look at weird board games. There is a board game called Feed Me, where it is essentially like the opposite of Crocodile Dentist. You have a plastic contraption that looks like baby Audrey in like a pot. And you have to put little like red marbles into its mouth until it eventually snaps shut on your finger. So is it kind of like Hungry Hungry Hippo or something? Uh, it's kind of like Hungry Hungry Hippo or like Crocodile Dentist because Crocodile so Dentist, like you'd be taking the, te you'd be taking there, the yeah. teeth out, but instead you're putting like red, like blood marbles in. <laughs> blood marbles. Wow. Yeah. yeah. When, and I assume this game is from the 90s? Yeah, this is like late 80s, early 90s. Early 90s, yeah. yeah. Or 1980, I have it here, 1987. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. Wow. Of course, of mm -hmm. course. Uh, okay, so we talked about the dentist stuff. I love his apron. That's like a butcher's apron as opposed to a right, dental the meat one. Apron. Yep. That also hints, like a little hint into S&M. Mm -hmm. Gas mask plus that is like moving into you know, a particular vein of that. Um, Bill Murray, of course, is amazing. Apparently, you, you all know this movie and this history way better than I do, but I think he improvised a lot of it. I was going to get a candy bar. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then they were having problems matching it in editing, right? Because, you know, like none of those mm -hmm. sequences made sense together and whatnot. So, but that seems very um, Bill Murray. Uh, but the puppetry, can we just. Yes. Oh, please, yes. It's like, it's about, amazing. Like, <laughs> it's, it's like phenomenal. It's the craft, the attention to detail the ways in which uh, every expression of emotion can come through where there's only a mouth, there's no eyes, right? Like animators, puppeteers, et cetera, often use the eyes as kind of a central place to like show like big wide-eyed expression or whatever. It's all through the mouth mm -hmm. and the tongue. My I think honestly, even though it's not probably technically the most impressive, but just visually, I love it so much as when um, Audrey 2 starts kicking out of the can and getting yes. larger, right? It's because it's like, whoa, pushing through something that's that solid, which obviously it's not, right? And then the unfurling of mm -hmm. the um, kind of fern-like structures around, tendrils around, and then the tongue that starts coming out. Oh, it's just, it's so, it's so remarkable. Yeah. I really 
it really is a marvel. That was the thing, yeah, the tongue is always what interested me for like the puppetry because the mouth is just, of course, it's just a hinge opening up and down. And then the tentacles it shows in the Feed song that looks like maybe stop motion that they're doing for like how the tentacles are so smoothly unfurling and moving around and gesturing. But the ton, I'm like, how did you guys even do that? Because that thing's actually moving around and forming different shapes to make the different words. So yeah. as are the lips. Yeah, the on lips. The, later, too, yeah. the lips on the later ones. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it truly is a marvel. Um, I know that they used they did use um, a lot of uh, like wires, uh, like, you know, strings to pull mm -hmm. on it um, for the kind of tendrils. Right, the tendrils are a whole separate, basically rig. But gosh, and they used a lot of forced perspective that I don't think Audrey 2 is really that big that they shot it in no, forced yeah. perspective. Because it's hard, you know, think of how heavy that puppet would be, but. Yeah. Um, I did well, hear I can, this. I can tell you that the, the Audrey 2, like the full grown Audrey 2 puppet is is very, very heavy. It, at least <laughs> when you do the stage play, it's, it's extremely heavy. Yeah. I do was, know that I've heard that um, when doing some of the animation for Audrey 2, they had to like do it at a certain speed or the puppetry rather. They could only do it so fast, you know? Yep. So Rick Moranis had to record his scenes and essentially lived up himself going half speed. Yes. <laughs> so it always reminds me of that scene from that, um, that uh, Rain Wilson film, The Rocker, where like um, the director wants them to like film the thing backwards. So you're just going to move a little bit backwards. Yep. And then take a picture and you can move a little bit backwards and then take a picture. <laughs> like imagine be like, okay, Rick, you're going to sing this song like how you would, but do it really slow. Yeah. And <laughs> he had to relearn it that slow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To be able to be in real time. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think it's half speed that that's how they did it. Cause if you think about the lips moving in some of the, in some of those, the later numbers, yeah. it's going so fast. And it yeah, like, there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but can we please have this level craft come back? Instead of yes. endless fucking CGI. Instead of just all CGI, let, let's get back to like using puppets again because it right. looks so much better and it looks so much more real in certain ways than and, CGI is. And the stakes are higher and that there's something physical and tangible there, even if you have that kind of suspension of disbelief. Like we know it's a puppet, like nobody thinks it's a real plant that they've somehow, you know, bioengineered or something. <laughs> right. But, but that it has stakes. I remember we were watching, a friend was and I were watching in the movie theater, we saw a double header of, I think it was Jurassic Park 3 and some other piece of shit. Oh. But, uh, but the beginning of Jurassic Park 3, you know, the plane mm -hmm. scene, I, which I, you know, haven't seen it since, but my friend just turned to me in the theater and goes, aw, somebody broke their CGI plane. Because <laughs> <laughs> who cares, right? We know it's not real. That we know. Right. Like, if There's you... no tangible, physical, um, tactile stakes for it. Exactly. Speaking of Frank Oz, look at one of his characters, Yoda. Yoda just sitting there in a log, just poking at things with his little cane, is way more entertaining to watch than him as a CGI monstrosity backflipping with a lightsaber, yeah. fighting Christopher Lee. Yeah, him with the little stick going like, eh, 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 yeah. eh. Or like, even like, yeah, we've got, you know, baby Yoda now, which is, you know, a puppet as well. And mm -hmm. the level of just, like, enthusiasm. Like, I, I don't think that that character would have had nearly as much like impact had it been just like a cgi like just a little cgi thing mm -hmm. on the side of yeah. like the thing it was like it was like as a puppet <laughs> and so it was like it looks like something like it looks like it's there because mm -hmm. it is there because it's, there's actually physically something there yeah, yeah and i and i hate to correct you to but it. 
<laughs> I hate to correct you, but he has a name and it's Groovy. I know. No, it's Baby Yoda. <laughs> no, it's Baby I know Yoda. what I said. And I said Yoda. what I said. I said <laughs> I what I said and it's Baby Yoda. Do you want to be off this podcast, Colin? Do we not yeah, already we discuss can... this with cats? They're on your last leg, all right? It's wow. Baby Yoda. Yeah, Colin's not allowed to pick the movies anymore. He, he had nine lives and he spent them all. <laughs> yeah, on cats. Andrew Lloyd Webber. And I, I think they're being very tight-lipped about how the nitty-gritty of how they're doing Baby Yoda, but I think it is a combination of puppet and then kind of CGI enhancements. Yeah, but, well, that's but how, fine. Which is fine because the way they're doing it, it again, it, it's tactile, it has weight, it has dimension. I know that... Um, who Framed Roger Rabbit, which I don't know if any of y'all have seen, but... That's my number two favorite oh, yeah. movie, yes. Oh, we could do scarred that movie. Scarred me so much as the movie. child. I love that movie. That's a it scarred really... you? Why? Come on. It was because of Christopher <laughs> Lee. It was because of Christopher there's, Lee. There's not like a whole ending part of that movie that is the most terrifying thing to a child. Yeah. It's amazing. put in front of them. Yeah. Oh, come on. That's also a wonderful critique of capitalism and in particular, uh, the LA trains, uh, the... Uh, highway system being built in Southern California, mm. devastating, you know, uh, ethnic and immigrant neighborhoods. Yay. Yay. Let's watch that movie. Next. Anyway, um, sorry. I, my point was rambling thing here, but what uh, the early, what the prequel Star Wars movies did not do that Who Framed Roger Rabbit did, even though it shot 20 plus years earlier, is that if you think about, if you're looking at a CGI character or someone who's not there, right? Mm -hmm. If you like take a pen and focus your eyes on it, right? And then take the pen away. To hold your eyes in space in that gaze is actually really hard, right? So I, you, like if I have to kind of do this, I'm almost cross-eyed because I'm mm -hmm. not looking at something right now. So uh, uh, Bob Hop, 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 Hoskins. Hoskins. Hoskins, thank you. He spent the entire movie doing that, right? With mm -hmm. uh, and that's why it feels so real, even though it's animated. They also had like a stuffed animal, or not a stuffed animal, but they had like kind of stand-in ones and like a tennis ball and other stuff. But that's why, in like, it looks like uh, Obi Wan Kenobi is like looking through all of the CGI characters, right? It's yeah. because the gaze is focused, you know, twenty feet beyond and not kind of where it is in physical space. So it's not just the character itself looks like it's not real it's the way the human performers with them don't interact with them as if they're real yeah which they've kind of fixed since then like you know they've kind of found other ways to um, produce since then but that's one of the i remember when the prequel trilogy came out i was like did you not learn anything from who framed roger rabbit like everybody's like gazing off into space right. and i'm supposed to be talking to someone and that's and why steve from blues clues fell into drugs <laughs> wow all right because he's just interacting with nothing all day so. <laughs> right on uh do we have any any final notes on the movie I, I had a couple little things um one thing that was like strangely disturbing to me while watching it this time because i've seen this movie a bunch but this is the first time since i've had a kid is that um when seymour like he starts out by just dripping blood but when he's just like sticking his fingers into the plant and the plant is just like sucking the blood out of his finger it was eerily reminiscent of like when my son is nursing yes. it, especially like it's suckling it's suckling mm. it's suckling but it, especially the look on Seymour's face just the, like oh my god it is the same look that like if, if my son is colicky or like if he's been having a rough night and he's just been nursing 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 nonstop to soothe himself 
my wife has exactly that look on her face. Like, <laughs> we've been at this for hours. Roland, <laughs> did you not have a James Bond connection? If you've got one, share it with me. Because I for shame, I have two. You have two. I completely. Oh well, it looks like we're uh, we're going to be replacing our straight white guy on this podcast. (laughs) Welcome our new token white guy. Welcome. Slid to the DMs. I'm sliding (laughs) the podcast. Your one purpose here has been replaced, Colin. Yeah. (laughs) Behold my glory. Well, this is the difference between first place and third place in the Bond League. I mean, Greg comes by and honest. All right, all right. Hit me with with the James Bond connection. Okay, first of all, uh, many of the scenes for this film were actually filmed in Pinewood Pinewood. Studios on the 007 stage where they filmed many 007 uh, shots, including the Suddenly Seymour number. Also, they are planning to do a remake of Little Shop of Horrors coming out in the next few years. And they're going to have Taron Egerton to play Seymour. Taron plays Eggie in the Kingsman franchise, which is essentially younger, more gadgety is, James Bond I mean, knockoff. That's kind <laughs> of... That's a roundabout. All right, Colin, you, nah, you get to hold on to your... You get to yeah, hold on. Was, but hey, I got the Pinewood Studios. Studios is, yeah, you the Pinewood Studios is legit. Don't give me one and a half. <laughs> yeah, I'll give, you, I'll give you one and a half. But I do have a little bit more information about the uh, in pre-production uh, remake. So, Taron Egerton is going to be playing Seymour. Scarlett Johansson is cast as Audrey. Chris Evans is cast as the dentist, and Billy Porter is cast cast as Audrey too. Okay. Wait, All sorry, right. I, I I was stuck on the first one because I don't know. No, who that's that hilarious. Is. I just see you at the bottom tower, like, who is Teron Egerton? I don't know who the fuck is this guy. He's, he's the guy from Kingsman. Did you see the latest? Um, um, oh, what's his he name? Was, um, Elton John. The Elton, the Elton John, John biopic. biopic. Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen it. Okay, but oh, well, if you see the Elton trailer, John. you know. Okay. Yeah, Elton John biopic, okay. But yeah. So it's Elton John, Scarlett Johansson plays all the black roles. I want to yeah, actually yeah, the entire Greek chorus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, could you imagine? Yeah, she's, uh, what is it? It's Chiffon, Rodnette, and Crystal. 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 Yeah. yeah, she's all three of them. She's all three. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then who else? Sorry, Colin. Uh, I, I Chris Evans watch. is the dentist, and Billy Porter is Audrey, too. Is Chris Evans funny? <laughs> That's a great question. Who's <laughs> been in comedies? Uh, sure. I'm going to tell you what, I'll go back, I'll rewatch Fantastic Four to see his comic beats in there and let you know. <laughs> see, I, think, I, I think what she meant Thank is you he intentionally funny. Is, is he intentionally <laughs> funny? I think that's the question. Yeah. Um, yeah. He had some, mo- he had like some quippy moments in Knives Out. Can he sing and dance? Ooh, see now that that's that's the thing Why about they... like what's happening. So this is what I like. This is oh, like <laughs> this is sorry. where we're gonna get. This is where we're gonna do the CGI enhancements for him. His <laughs> dancing and singing. Like I miss I miss movie no, musicals where like the people that were in the movie musicals like could sing and, and sing dance. and dance. Yeah. 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 Like Danny Kaye. La La Land what? started all this. I blame I blame oh, what's gosh. his name Damien. Chazelle or Damien Chazelle. Yeah, I could not. As I've said before, <laughs> at least I can't remember if it was on the podcast or just to y'all personally. Like I could, I watched like twenty minutes and I could not watch any more of that. I was I, like, I, this is pathetic. Yeah, I like, haven't. I can, I can sing and dance better than they can, and that is not a good thing, right? <laughs> like I can do neither. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, okay, so um, I, but they were there was like a they did re uh, do like they had a rerun of the stage. Play. And I think like um, uh, 
I want to say Amber Riley was in it. If she's not, she should be in it. Um, I think Amber Riley was in it, and I think India Moore was in it. Um, India Moore is a uh, well, no, no. It was M J Rodriguez. M J Rodriguez. Um, she is Blanca on Pose. If you've seen that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, she was in it. Uh, someone else, but like they they did like a stage play for uh, a revive. I don't know what you call it when you bring a stage play back. Um, revival, like, yes. Yeah. Stage play revival of Little Shop. Uh, I think this is like last year or 2018 or 10 years ago. I don't know. It could have been 20 years ago at this point. Uh, but <laughs> um, that was, I saw some clips from that and that one looked really good. Hmm. Um, so yeah. I, yeah, just bring the play back. <laughs> Let's just, just, just that. watch that. Cause it's not yeah. the movie again. This is perfect. And I just, I mean, I, I probably know. won't watch the new one no because i'm trying to picture scarlett johansson singing suddenly seymour two and then having a cgi audrey too right it's gonna be yeah terrible. yeah i don't want it <laughs> all right well uh, uh my only other note before stats is that um well stats and we and uh for greg to do his plugs is that um in the summer that's green number audrey is having a tupperware party Yes. It just goes to show that um, pyramid schemes targeted housewives even in the 1950s. Even in the 50s. <laughs> yeah. Even in the 50s. Yeah. Uh, that makes me so happy. Yep. <laughs> and then I have one last note. Um, you cannot electrocute plants. Because at the end of this film, uh, Seymour kills Audrey too by hitting it with a big like electric cable. Uh, electrocution kills because it shuts down your vital organs. Plants don't really have vital organs to shut down at worst. It might set Audrey on fire. But since it's a sentient moving plant, it could just like put it out. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> wow, this is uh, good to know. Yeah. So if you ever get into a situation where you are have an electric cable that's live wire right there next to a giant plant, I mean, you can try, but. <laughs> <laughs> so did you watch? Did you watch the theatrical version then for this? Yeah, I wish I had watched the director's cut now. Okay, yeah. I, I want to see it with the good Oh, end. I've seen both versions. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, so yeah, and that one, it's like, like I said, so like Audrey gets eaten by the plant. She does like the reprise of Somewhere That's Green. And then mm -hmm. Seymour like goes on the roof. He's about to kill himself. And uh, the, like this guy comes out from like, you know, marketing and you know r&d and is like hey we made another version of your plant and so he that makes him like go back down to confront audrey to say like oh this is your plan all along right you know one of you in every american household uh and then that's when he gets eaten and mm -hmm. then that goes into the uh that last part with like just seven minutes of the plants like people it's like it's like literally like looking at it it's a scene of like a black friday i don't think black friday even existed <laughs> like at this point but it's like people are like it's literally like ripping like audrey twos off the shelves uh -huh. like it's like so clearly just like oh yeah consumerism like you are yeah. we are <laughs> not subtle yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. yeah it's it's uh the i definitely recommend watching the director's cut version um if you haven't seen that one uh as well because um, that song is also really good too. Don't feed the plants is a really good mm -hmm. song. Um, that I don't think we get in the theatrical. No, you don't get that at all in the hero ending where Seymour essentially gets a bunch of bricks falling onto him. He should be concussed slash dead. Yeah. But instead, he grabs a live wire that happens to be there, 
gently like boops Audrey too's like tentacle with it, and then it just starts to vibrate and then explodes into stardust like a Final Fantasy <laughs> Seven boss. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you wanted to give us some stats on this? Uh... Sure. Um, so we'll start with the 1960 movie. Uh, the 1960 movie has a 92 on Rotten Tomatoes, a 55 on Audience Tomato, uh, 55 Audience Tomatoes, and a 6.3 on IMDb. Uh, this movie has a 7.0 on IMDb, uh, 81 Metacritic, a 90 Rotten Tomatoes, and a 79 Audience Tomatoes. It should be hundreds across the board, tens across the board. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. That, that audience score for the six nineteen sixty one sounds about right. I watched it the other day. I was like, uh, it's all yeah, right. Like, it's... I get like how, like, it might have been wowing for like critics, but like, uh, it's it's not as entertaining. I don't feel like I need to go back to that constantly. You know, no, or at all, really, yeah. <laughs> personally. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I have some recommendations if you like this movie, yes. and you all can chime in on this because uh, obviously. So I would recommend other Frank Oz directed mo- comedies like Bowfinger. What about and what about Bob mm-hmm. um, uh, or the Dark Crystal in a very different yes. direction of puppetry? Um, if if you're going for the like camp musical Hairspray, especially the Ricky Lake version is my favorite version of Hairspray. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking for the critique of capitalism in the '80s, I would say They Live. I, we should have y'all watch that. No, I we actually, should. We should. We should, we do should they maybe live. do that. I actually did an episode on They Live recently for my podcast movie date night. Oh, nice. Oh, so maybe we'll just replay it. We'll just yeah. like, <laughs> we'll just reenact your podcast. It'll be perfect. Um, if you're just looking for the sweetness of like a local shop, shop around the corner, I keep saying this film. It's the film that was then remade into When Harry Met Sally. Uh, no, sorry. It was made into, uh, what's the one they made after the book? Sleepless in, Sleepless in Seattle. Sleepless in Seattle is the one. No, that no, no. no. You've got mail. You've got mail. Yes. Oh, yeah, Why were there so many of that exact same movie? The I know, right? So shop around the corner. Listen, white people are not creative. We find one good idea and we will run with that until you stop buying. And Meg Ryan will star in it, right? Um, so shop around the corner is from the 40, 30, late 30s, early 40s. Um, Bandwagon is a lesser known uh, Vincent Minnelli musical, but it's where you get the... Um, and Are You Okay, Michael Jackson video, is a kind of remake of a dance oh. like that. And then in La La Land, when they're dancing in the park, that comes from Bandwagon. So I would recommend that as a kind of lesser known, really wonderful musical. And then, of course, Some Like It Hot, because that's where mm-hmm. Audrey comes from in some ways. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah. Gentlemen, if you want to go even queerer than that movie. Yeah, um, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a great movie. Mm. Yes, yes. Okay. That's, or, and also Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> <laughs> is that for the Bill Murray of it all? That's for the Bill Murray of it all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Rick Moranis is in those too. I totally yeah. forgot. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 He's right. amazing in them. He, uh, my favorite line in Ghostbusters 2, which most people hate, but I love, is he, they're in court and they're trying to defend what they did. And he, Rick Moranis just goes, I turned, sorry. I turned into a dog once and they helped me. Thank you. <laughs> That's his testimony, right? And they're like, oh. I, I'm so excited about the potential return of Rick Moranis. Cause he, he disappeared because his wife tragically died and he quit acting in order to raise his kids. Yep. But now that his kids are grown up, he's uh, think he's been looking at some stuff and he might be coming back to acting. Nice. Why don't they just cast him in the musical again? Sorry. <laughs> he should be like mushnick like he should be like yeah. the, Ooh, the big, i like that cool. i like that um yeah also like uh 
young McMoranis was like such a cutie to me. Like I had such a crush on him in like all these movies. I also like, um, yeah, obviously like I had a type because I was also like really into uh, Billy from the Power Rangers like <laughs> the blue okay. ranger he's like also like uh, like the nerdy kid like the nerdy one it was just like... i i get that and i'm vibing with that yeah i listen i i, I may be um self-coding it straight but like i can appreciate a good looking guy when i see it and that's my type to the nerdy guy you know? <laughs> uh yeah uh colin do you have any recommendations uh, yeah, if, if you like the music in this movie, uh, the, the music of um, Alan Macon and Howard uh, Ashman, He's done a well, few you things. can check out <laughs> you can check out the entire Disney Renaissance yeah. because basically <laughs> the, these same two composers did the entire Disney Renaissance from Little Mermaid to Tarzan, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in terms of things that I've been watching and enjoying lately, I've been uh, using my HBO Max subscription uh, not just for the mandalorian but uh they have some old adult swim stuff on there uh one of which is a show called home movies uh oh, which yeah, is by the same creative mm-hmm. team of the people who did dr cats in the very early days of uh of comedy central but it's a, a very quirky little uh comedy animated show uh very dry uh, very fun um but i've also been enjoying uh crashing starring uh pete holmes and um Lauren Lapkus, which is a uh, HBO original series. So uh, check those things out. Right on. Um, so I would recommend, you know, I've got some uh, musicals based on movies. Uh, so <laughs> there's Mean Girls, Legally Blonde, uh, Lion King, School of Rock, Shrek, Sister Act, Beetlejuice. Those are just a few of the, to name a few oh movies, movies that eventually became stage musicals. Um, and we'll probably at one point get mus- movies made of the musicals. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder if this is, like, I don't know if this has been done, like, since this. Like, I haven't heard of, like, a, has there been a musical that was made from a movie that then got turned into a movie musical? I think Hairspray. I, I think Hairspray. Hairspray was yeah. a was a movie that wasn't a musical, and then it was a musical, and then it became a movie hmm. musical. All right. I, well, if I remember go. correctly, uh, <laughs> there are a bunch of different versions of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, there we go. It's good to know. Um, I also, um, you know, it's like the new year. People are, you know, you know, trying to, you know, better themselves or whatever. I don't know. After 2020, I'm like. <laughs> Let's just make it through. Um, that's literally the way to say it. They're trying to better themselves. Some, I don't know anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's literally like the slogan for 2021. So, so I was talking to some friends, you know, over the holidays, and we decided that what we're aiming for is successful muddling. Right. right? Not muddling, but we're doing it successfully. Right? Like, yeah, I feel like, honestly, 2020 felt like that scene of... Uh, like leading into Skid Row, where it's like better ourselves, better ourselves <laughs> in 2020. <laughs> no such no. thing. Like, <laughs> like we are just surviving. That is what we are fucking doing. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, but I, I, I've been uh. like playing like keyboard off and on for a while. Um, but I just, um, I mean, I've been using it for like the last four or five months this program called melodics that is really cool um so this is not like sponsored or anything like i mean unless somebody at melodic somehow manages to hear this and wants to sponsor me. 
um, which they did. wonderful like you know <laughs> um feed me um <laughs> but uh that is a really great program for if you're um using keyboard um also if you like use like um like the midi pads the drum pads it has like a drum pad section on there too um it's a really cool program i really enjoy it um so if that's something that you know you're you know trying to learn music or something like that um i've already like noticed like an improvement in my fingering <laughs> um <laughs> and um yeah just my you know my, the, my Sorry, the timing <laughs> has been uh greatly improved in just like the like four or five months that i've been using it so um yeah i'd recommend it to anyone if, if that's what your vibe is that's your jam nice um oh. Oh, some folks are saying Bowfinger exclamation point. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. We can maybe yeah. do that. That's a good... That's <laughs> I a good love that at movie. Some point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Um, Gregory, uh, do you have any recommendations? Honestly, like anything that I could have thought of, like you or Tara's already said, like I just recently discovered the Beetlejuice musical. I have Say My Name on loop constantly in my ears. Like <laughs> such Is a it good number. Beyonce's say my name, you know, like it's this really good musical number where Lydia and Beetlejuice first meet and he's trying to like trick her Get into that three times. Yeah, yeah, and then she keeps going like Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, because and then she like goes up and like, you know, so she keeps kind of teasing him with it, you know. Ain't calling this baby. Yeah. Um, awesome. and uh, then yeah, just like there's so many other good ones to watch, you know, uh, that uh, actually Tara already recommended, like Some Like It Hot, you know, like that's a really good one that I enjoy. And, oh my God, you're the only other people who I've ever met who know Bovinger. So, <laughs> 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 no one I've ever met has ever even Such heard of that movie. film. So I'm like, yeah. It was not a hit. And it, it, I think that movie, maybe we can have a 2021 renaissance for that because yeah. it, it deserves more than it got when it came out. Awesome. Uh, Greg, why don't you tell us a little bit about your podcast? Um, I've got, got them scrolling up here for the folks on Twitch. Yeah, I've, I've got way too many going on. Thankfully, I'm only <laughs> participant one. Uh, our primary one is Movie Date Night that I do with my now wife, Lauren, uh, where we share movies with each other that we haven't seen before. You know, So we say um, it's movies to share with the people that you love. Um, recently, we're, this month, we're going to be doing Jewel of the Nile and Romancing huh. the Stone. <laughs> Are you uh, going to do them together? Yeah, as a double feature, because Colin actually recommended it. We were watching it, and Lauren tweeted, like, oh, yeah, we watched this, and Colin's like, that'd be a great episode. I'm like, yeah, it would be. <laughs> so, um, And there's yeah. a third one, which is not is really there? in the she, same... She talked about not, that. that what's it's it? not in the roses. same universe. War, oh, War okay. the, of the Roses. It's War not of the Roses, really yeah. in the same universe. It's uh, oh, Michael it's, Douglas. It's the same actors, but yeah, it's not. Together. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, we also have our Friday's game nights where we uh, tell you how to have a fun gaming get together with your friends, including social distancing versions. We usually do different topics. Like recently this month, we're doing games that you've been playing Ron, the games that people have been playing Ron over time. Um, and we do escape room reports in there too. So whenever we can go on to an escape room, which is, have you guys done any escape rooms, by the way? No, nope. I've, never I've done, done one. one. Wait, you didn't do that with- uh, I with wasn't Peach? with you. Oh. No, okay. I wasn't with you when you did that. Oh, well, well if, I've if done you, one. <laughs> if you guys are up to it, we need to do a virtual escape room together. I think you guys would be a fun crew to go through some puzzles with. Um, be super fun. Yeah. And then, of course, we have the moral combat that I'm part of where we do bracketed arguments about which is best or which is worst. Recently, we had the overrated uh, 80s films that are overrated. 
I my picks for that were Big, uh, The Land Before Time, and Goonies. <gasps> How dare I, you? I don't <laughs> think The Land Before that. Time. How Listen, dare you? I'm a Dino Boy through and through, but like I don't boy. think that film really stands up over time. I think it's a boring film. And considering the fact that they made so many, they stopped using Roman numerals. They're like, listen, kids don't know what XIIV means anymore. It's just, <laughs> let's just call it what it is. It, and I will say this, in one of the line before times, they actually have an encounter with aliens from another world. So I'm just putting that out there. Like wow, they, jump, right. they jumped the shark so, hard. Yeah. <laughs> is that, was that a Don Bluth thing originally? Originally, yeah, and then okay. he didn't sign on for any of the sequels. I don't think. Right, I need to do like a Don Bluth block or something because I, I, I want to watch rewatch oh, like I, the Pebble and the Penguin. Thank um, you. I uh, love in Central Park. Yeah. Um, uh, Rockadoodle Do. I like oh, Rockadoodle. You've never seen these? Tar- no, I love it. I love. I've never heard of them. I've heard of Land. I've heard of Land Before Time, which I've seen the first one. Okay, well, I mean, just I would this have morning I was watching all, all dogs that, go to heaven. Yeah, Don Bluth was like the anti Disney guy. Like, yeah, I know who like, he is. I, I, <laughs> I can't believe you haven't seen any of these. But you know, it's, it's partially that I like at some point lost my, and this is true for Pixar also. I lost my tolerance for talking animal movies, and <laughs> I lost it somewhere around like yeah. Like it, oh, all danger. dogs go to heaven. I've, yeah, that one too. Yeah, I've seen that yeah. one. Yeah, okay, that yeah, earlier. that's a Don Bluth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, yeah. I just don't watch any of them. I'm gonna make you watch at least one <laughs> at some point for this podcast. <laughs> I, I definitely I love recommend you, listening. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely recommend listening to at least the over 80s tournament because it's so much fun just to listen to like friendships dissolve over people oh, <laughs> like tearing each other's movies apart. Like, it, the it, number it one question so passed fun. back and forth was who hurt you? this movie this movie hurt me (laughs) (laughs) all right well thank you again so much for coming on greg Um, yeah very fun um thank you to everyone on our twitch stream um thank you to the people who followed while we were here um yeah i appreciate you all showing up for this very first and very experimental thing that we just tried out here um uh just yeah (laughs) there were some fun moments already just from the top um so thanks for dealing with us and working with us through those technical difficulties um yeah you can find us online we are on twitter and instagram at iwytwt we can find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash iwytwt we're on all the places where you get your podcasts and you can find our website, which is IWITWT.com. Um, I am online individually at Catharticus on Twitter. Colin, where are you at? I am at Colin Munch. Gregory, what are your socials? Um, I don't have any personal ones, but uh, my podcasts are at Movie Date Night and at Game Friday and at Moral Combat Pod. Awesome, and awesome. Then, and then y'all can find me somewhere that's green. Exactly. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. I, okay, I officially love you now. It's <laughs> like, oh, she's nice and I love her, but that was fantastic. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a callback. <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us on the stream and on the podcast. Uh, and you have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.